And our first reading is taken from Psalm 31, verses 1 to 16. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Free me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not handed me over to the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbours. I'm a dread to my friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I'm forgotten by them as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear the slander of many. There's terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Amen. Our second reading this morning is taken from 2 Kings 17, 1 to 20. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judea, Hoshea, son of Elea, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned for nine years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord but not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up to attack Hoshea, who had been Shalmaneser's vassal and had paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria discovered that Hoshea was a traitor, for he had sent envoys to so king of Egypt, and he no longer paid tribute to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore, Shalmaneser seized him and put him in prison. The king of Assyria invaded the entire land, marched against Samaria and laid siege to it for three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and deported the Israelites to Assyria. He settled them in Halar, in Gozan, on the harbour river, and in the towns of the Medes. All this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God. 
who had brought them out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. From watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all their towns. They set up sacred stones and anasherah poles on every hill, under every spreading tree. At every high place they burned incense, as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that provoked the Lord to anger. They worshipped idols, though the Lord had said, You shall not do this. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers. Turn from your evil ways. Observe my commandments and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your fathers to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their fathers who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their fathers and the warnings he had given them. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They intimidated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do, and they did the things the Lord had forbidden them to do. They forestalk all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves two idols, cast in the shape of calves and an Asherah pole. They bowed down to all the starry hosts and they worshipped Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sorcery and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord provoking him to anger. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left, and even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God. They followed the practices Israel had introduced. Therefore the Lord rejected all the people of Israel He afflicted them and gave them into the hands of plunderers until he thrust them from his presence. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Amen. Thank you for having me. That's a wonderful privilege again to be able to be here. Um, If you would indulge me one more moment, let's just bow in prayer yet. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the challenge of your greatness, the reminder of us, our brokenness as human beings, our tendencies to go astray, but your redeeming love. Lord, as we gather together in thought and heart around your scripture, By your Spirit, stir us. Make this written word 
living to our hearts, living to our minds and our understandings, and transform us into men and women who will serve you in this hour for Jesus' sake. Amen. It's an interesting time we're in, isn't it? And sometimes when you go through a series of scriptures as you are studying covenant together, um, you don't think in advance, oh, let's put this scripture right here at this particular week. But I think sometimes we find God overruling and thinking, oh, this is just very appropriate given our time. Here's a story of Israel, the ten tribes who have separated from Judah and Benjamin, who have gone their own ways, coming to the end of their nationhood as they know it. And here we are in Great Britain, poised with dramatic changes that haven't happened to us uh, in decades. And I think there's a lot we can share in parallel And as I was reflecting on all of that, I thought about my own background. My parents, my father was born and was a German citizen. And in 1926, between the two world wars, as a 21-year-old, with only four years of formal education, he immigrated to America and became an American citizen. Got his high school degree, went to New York City, got his university degree, went to Iowa State University, got his master's and his PhD and became vice president of a university before he died. He was an emigrant who left one country just before all the turmoil that followed with Nazism. My mother was the daughter of Lutheran missionaries to China and she was born and spent her childhood in China before her parents had to flee in some of the uprisings that preceded that nation falling into communism. And I think both of my parents went through times when the nations they were born into went into upheaval. And now here I am in Britain as an American citizen trying to figure out what God has for me. Uh, and I'm looking at the upheaval in my own home nation and thinking again, is this a turbulent time? It seems as though nations are in uproar and peoples are in tumult. And in the midst of that, we look at this wonderful story of um, Israel in its fallenness. And we look at the challenge of Israel when they broke covenant. That passage that was read to us. Why? Because the people have broken my covenant and rebelled against my law, Hosea says. The three periods in the history of the nation of Israel, that is the ten tribes, the northern tribes of Israel, who then went on to separate from the kingdom that was united under David and and flourished under Solomon and then divided under his sons. And those periods are, are roughly divided as periods of strife, 
which includes the kings uh, Je- Je- Jeroboam I, Nadab, Basha, Elah, Zimri, Omri, and Ahab, a very famous name you've heard a bit about, I'm sure, already. This was the time when Israel set up golden calves, two golden calves, one in Dan, one in Beersheba, to replace the temple in Jerusalem. There was that wonderful temple of Solomon where worship to the Lord had been centered, and now they'd split, and so they said, we'll have our own centers of worship, and they erected two golden calves. Power struggle after power struggle followed. One ruler toppled another. And there was constant strife ongoing between Israel and Judah, two brother countries. At the end of that first period, Ahab consolidated somehow all of the conflict by intermarriage and stopped the civil strife between the two two Jewish nations. Ahab allied himself with Phoenicia through marriage to a woman named Jezebel, whom you've heard of, I'm sure, if you've been a Bible student over the years. And the outside wars ended for a period, but the inner rot began. It was a time of the major prophets, Elijah and Elisha, Then you come to the second period which followed, a period of wealth and prosperity for Israel. Kings of Ahazah, Jeroh, Jehoram, Yehu, Jehoahaz, Jehoahash, and Jeroboam II. All of those names probably don't mean anything to us. But that was a time when the kingdom of Israel became wealthy, And the major threat of the nation Syria to the north was ended. The capital of Samaria grew wealthy, reached its height in the era of Jeroboam II. And it was a time of the prophets Amos and Hosea who prophesied against the material prosperity that they were living with and the underlying spiritual bankruptcy, social injustice, corruption in high places, sexual immorality. These were the things that the prophets spoke against. And then we have the third period, a period of rapid decline under the kings Zahariah, Shalom, Mahanahem, Pekahiah, Pekah, and lastly, the name we heard in the reading today, Hosea. Assyria, farther to the north, was becoming the world power of the time. It invaded and, uh, or it threatened rather, Israel and forced Israel to pay tribute. So Israel became a vassal state until Hosea, the last king of Israel, And interesting how the Bible speaks of him. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. This one became a traitor, broke covenant even in his time, and rebelled. And so the capital of Samaria 
was laid siege to and conquered, and thousands of Israel's brightest and best were deported into the farthest regions of the empire and lost forever. Very interesting kind of change that happened. How do you maintain power in those days and prevent uprisings? You take the richest and the best from any country and deport them and keep the rest just to raise the land and bring people from other countries into the new lands so that they never quite have any power or control. And that way you avoid all kinds of um, interesting intrigue. Didn't quite work, but that was the strategy of Assyria in those days. What was the reason for all of this? Hosea, very interesting passage. If I can get to it quickly. Can't read it from here. Hosea chapter 8. Put the trumpet to your lips. An eagle is over the house of the Lord, because the people have broken my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel cries out to me, O our God, we acknowledge you. But Israel has rejected what is good. An enemy will pursue him. They set up kings without my consent. They choose choose princes without my approval. With their silver and gold, they make idols for themselves to their own destruction. Throw out your calf idol, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of purity? They are from Israel. This calf... A craftsman has made it. He is not God. It will be broken in pieces, that calf of Samaria. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no head. It will produce no flower. Were it to yield grain, foreigners would swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. Now she is among the nations like A worthless thing. In the passage that was read to us from first from Second Kings for seven, it says all this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God. What was their sin? Well, first of all, it was idolatry. They worshipped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. They were high places, sacred stones and Asherah poles. Well, you don't know quite what those Asherah poles are, but they have something to do with carved totem-like poles, none of them are living or are remnants because they were all made of wood and they've all rotted, but they seem to have some connection to, uh, to worship uh, in, in idolatry, and Asherah 
might be also very similar to the goddess Stati and others. It's a goddess of fertility who was very prominent in that time. They bowed down to the starry host, the Bible says, which is all about astrology and the teachings of the Near East. They worshipped Baal, or Baal, the storm god, the god of war. And they sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. The god of Moloch and child sacrifice practiced by the Canaanites, one of the most detestable practices One of the reasons God overthrew the Canaanites and brought Israel into the land in the first place. They practiced divination and sorcery, trying to foretell the future and not looking to God. And they sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. That's a code phrase saying some of them became shrine prostitutes. They gave their bodies up as well as their hearts. And then secondly, they refused to listen to God. He sent prophets to them. They were warned again and again, but they refused to listen. They did not trust the Lord. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made. And then you have this poignant verse 15. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. It's amazing how we become what we worship. And if we worship idols that are worthless, we become like them. Therefore, the consequences, the Lord rejected the people of Israel He afflicted them and gave them into the hands of plunderers until he thrust them from his presence. Wow. Nice, inspiring scripture, isn't it? (laughs) I I found a number of years ago that um, there's there's a teaching I heard that had really made sense to me of God's dealings and the, um, the man who was preaching, the preacher who shared it with me, a good friend of mine in the States, Pastor Dale Stoll, he said, there are three words that are characteristic of God's dealing with us as human beings. Grace, mercy, and judgment. And he said, grace is getting something good that we do not deserve. It is by grace that we're saved through faith. We receive salvation. It's something wonderful that we do not deserve. And then there's mercy. And mercy is not getting something that we, evil that we do deserve. We act in ways that, do, that deserve judgment, that have consequences, and God in his mercy withholds us and allows us to... Uh, be rescued in those times. And then judgment. And I I found this, he made a real good distinction between eternal judgment, which is the end consequence of our lives, and judgment in the here and now. Judgment, he said, is getting some of the consequences we deserve for our behavior. 
And he said, if you look at God's dealing with people, he would prefer, first of all, to deal with us just on the basis of grace. Let me bless you. So that in being blessed, we come to him and say, oh, yes, Lord, we want to serve you. But not always does grace win the day. And sometimes we go our own way, and then God calls us up short and And he says, well, if you won't respond to grace, then let me show mercy. And in his mercy, to draw us back to himself and to say, oh, you know, I really deserve for all this to go wrong. And I can see instead that God in his mercy prevented that and kept me from falling. And then there's judgment. When all else fails... Sometimes God allows us to face the consequences of our own behavior. But the goal is always the same. The goal is always to bring us back to himself. To bring us back into a relationship with himself. And that's the context in which we need to understand. God isn't saying, out, I will have nothing more to do with you. He's saying, I still want you to come to me. And if you come into some of the prophets that follow, you'll hear them again and again, the hope that still remains because God's heart is ever a heart of love. Hosea, they sow the wind, they reap the whirlwind. They broke the covenant So when grace did did not work, God showed mercy and for years allowed Israel to continue until finally when mercy worked no longer, God dealt in judgment. Well, what does this have to do with us today, after all? (laughs) It's not really any idolatry in our ages there. We don't have graven images. We don't serve bowels or ashtaroths. Um, or do we? Most important value of our age seems to be wealth these days. What's important is the economy. Isn't that an American president who said it? It's the economy, stupid. Not morality, not justice, not faithfulness, but wealth. And I think this is one of the big idols of our day. I think if the prophets of Israel could come into our time and examine our age, they would say, well, you may not be worshipping Baal, and you may not be worshipping Ashtaroth, and you may not be going bowing down to the starry host, but my, my, do you worship mammon. My, oh, my, do you serve wealth. And what did Jesus say about the worship of mammon? You cannot serve God and mammon. They don't work together. What do we do? We sacrifice again and again justice, care for the poor, concern for the handicapped, for the sake of the economy, to keep the taxes low. The concern is not for the broken 
and the, the wounded. I see this all the time as a counselor. If you look at the, the desperate reduction of support for people with mental health in the last decade. And why? Because we can't afford it. Because we choose not to afford it. Because we do not want to be raising our taxes. And yet, now look what's going to happen. I have a feeling that the next few years are going to be more difficult financially for us than they've ever been. So, underlying so much of this idolatry in Israel was sexual perversion. Um, And I wonder too, is there another spirit, I feel very strongly about this, that we may not have graven images, but we certainly have electronic (coughs) images. And the problems of internet pornography in our time are huge. The average age now for someone seeing triple X or extremely perverse pornography, the average age in our society is 12. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of things that I would have struggled with as a teenager looking at Penthouse magazine or something like that. I'm talking about the kind of really perverted stuff and they see it on the internet, and it shapes the way they think about sexuality altogether. Are we not bowing down in some ways to some of those same kinds of spirits in our times? If you see the idols that Israel worshipped, if you see some of the pictures or the figures, they are very explicitly sexual. And they're very clear that part of that whole worship had to do with shrine prostitutes. So you'd, you'd copulate with a prostitute in order to make your crops grow. And where are we going? Do you know that if the pornography industry were wiped out today globally, we could not fund our internet and we could not fund our mobile phone networks. They're dependent on the funding that comes from those resources. That's how badly we are trapped in this today. Asherah, maybe not, but perhaps a similar spirit. So where does that leave us? We need a time of national repentance, a time of revival, a change of heart, and a challenge of allegiance. Covenant, it's an interesting thing, interesting word. Our Bible is divided, in case you didn't know it, into the old covenant and the new covenant. The Old Testament and the New Testament, as we often translate it, is just another word for covenant. The Bible is made up of an old covenant and a new covenant. Because there's something about God and his people that you see all through the old covenant story of the Bible. And it's this fact that when people draw near to God, when they humble themselves and come in repentance and come in humility and worship, over and over again it stirs the heart of God to make covenant with them. 
Now, that makes sense to me when I think about what happened to me 46 and a half years ago when I met my wife and got married. Something about meeting that woman, something about her character and her beauty and her love for the Lord stirred my heart to want to do something, to want to propose to her, to ask her to be my wife and to make covenant with her in marriage, to be faithful for her, to her for the rest of my life. There is something about the nature of the love that God has put in our hearts that makes covenant. There's something about the nature of God's love for us that wants to make covenant. And we violate it when covenant gets lost in our our world. Nowadays, people just come together and have sex. They don't think about commitments. And I could spend another hour talking about that some other day. Jeremiah talked about this. He said, you know, there's a time coming when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them out by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sin no more. A new covenant is what we need in this time. A renewed covenant with God. Lord, come, restore the honor of your name. Write your covenant on our hearts. Turn us from the worship of wealth and sexual impurity back to the worship of God. You see, Israel didn't just stop worshiping God. They twisted worshiping God. They always continued to have some kind of worship, but they brought everything else into it. They amalgamated it. God wants us to have pure hearts because it isn't just leaders that turn a nation away from God. It's a people who turn away from God. And it isn't leaders that are going to restore this time and this nation. It's people like you and like me who choose to follow God in this time in costly ways that will bring about the heart of God to bring revival in our land, to turn his mercy again toward us and to bring repentance and revival in our time. Let's pray for that together, shall we? Oh, Lord Jesus, in this time when unprecedented decisions have been made in the political arena, we are not spiritually adequate. Your people are broken. 
and our leaders are far from you. Break our hearts over our land, over the covenant that has been broken by the lives of men and women who've turned to wealth and sexual impurity and power and turned away from the worship of the Lord Jesus. Break our hearts until we say, Lord, with us, with us, begin the new covenant. Write your laws on our hearts and put them in our minds so that we remain faithful and that in our faithfulness you would find reason to show mercy in this time. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.